This is The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. As the world moves to decarbonise, we are in a constant search for new energy sources. Sources that can replace our reliance on fossil fuels. One promising but still highly experimental form of energy production is nuclear fusion. Fusion is essentially the same process that happens on the surface of the sun, and it's still a long way off being put into production. But if successful, fusion could provide a near-limitless source of clean power, without all the risks that come from nuclear fission. This week, a major announcement was made by JET, the joint European Taurus. The team at JET announced that they had broken a 24-year-old record for the highest sustained energy from a fusion reaction, generating 59 megajoules of energy over a fusion pulse of 5 seconds. But what is JET, and what does this all mean for the field of fusion research? All of us here today may have a tale to tell our grandchildren when we say that we attended the unveiling of the joint European Taurus at Cullum. JET, or the Joint European Taurus, is a research project that was officially launched back in 1984 by Queen Elizabeth II, with the goal of exploring fusion energy. In an energy-hungry world, the JET may be a step along the road towards a virtually unlimited source of electric power. So JET is, a, is the joint European Taurus. It's the only tokamak in the world at the moment that can run deuterium-tritium uh, reactions. So it's the only experiment that is licensed to have tritium inside it. This is Professor Matthew Hole from the Australian National University. This is a research experiment. So the joint European Taurus is a research experiment. The next step experiment beyond that, ITER, is also a research experiment. So the jet facility was never intended to produce net power yield, and it was never intended certainly to produce power. Uh, it's a research experiment. What it was designed to do uh, was to explore uh, what happens when you have a, a population, a significant population of alpha particles that are from reaction. So the analogy is like trying to light a fire when it's pouring with rain. Uh, so everything's wet. You have to lift it to very high temperature. Uh, the bigger that you make the, bon- the bonfire and the more fuel you add onto it, um, the easier it becomes to light. Ideally, what you want to be able to do is just stand back and let the whole thing burn by itself and not add any further wood onto it. So uh, this situation, it's not, it's not a fully, it's not a bonfire uh, yet, but it's, it's more than just a kindling, smouldering flame. And so that's, if, if you think about it from that perspective, uh, it's, more than a kindling flame, it's something which lasts for a period of time. It's, I guess, if you think about starting a, uh, it's start, or starting a motor or an engine or on a motorboat or something, the engine's kicking over. It's not, it's not kicking to life, but it's kicking. At its core, a fusion reaction works by forcing hydrogen atoms to join together to become helium. It's hoped that in the future, we'll be able to get a lot more energy from the reaction than what it takes to create it. So fusion is the process that powers the sun and the stars, so it's the opposite process to fission. Fission, you might be familiar, nuclear fission is breaking heavy isotopes or heavy atoms into smaller atoms. Uh, Fusion is the process of combining light atoms, typically 
isotopes of hydrogen to form something heavier. And both reactions produce net power. Uh, the fusion process, particularly the ones that we're trying to exploit on Earth, the deuterium-tritium cycle, produces, which are isotopes of hydrogen, produces helium, the gas that's used in air balloons sometimes, and an energetic neutron. So neither of those are radioactive. The neutron is energetic and it can activate part of the vessel that it impacts with, but that level and volume and duration of radioactive waste is orders of magnitude below fission uh, and indeed estimates suggest that you could recycle a whole power plant within 100 years as opposed to 10,000 years. The learnings from JET's research will be useful for ITER, the world's largest fusion experiment which is currently being built in southern France and is due to come online in 2025. It's a collaboration between 35 nations, and the goal with ITER is to produce 500 megawatts of energy for every 50 megawatts put in. So it's hoped that ITER will be the first fusion reactor to generate a net energy gain. This would be a clear demonstration that a fusion energy power plant would be possible. To date, even JET has not demonstrated net power gain. So it's generated power gain that is at, at, at 0.7. The most recent results are a lower power gain, but the energy, but the confinement time was much, much longer. So it's a more impressive result in some respects. ITER is designed to operate for power gains of 5, up to 10, or maybe even 20 for shorter duration five in steady state, uh, and a power plant uh, would probably follow. Uh, there are lots of different designs for power plants, some which are early uh, as ambitious as populating something to the grid around 2040 or so in the UK. More realistically, it's probably sometime after 2050. But uh, that's the time scale at which scientists and engineers believe that they will be able to deploy first of a kind uh, to, to the grid. So we need to keep, we need to, you know, continue to do these experiments uh, to, you know, to get to the point where we're getting a power gain out of the reaction and then use that technology to then, you know, build a, a power station that would be the, the first at some point. That, that's precisely the, the, the pathway. So, I mean, fusion is very difficult. You have to confine something to 600 million degrees centigrade continuously. From a science perspective, it's much harder than putting man on the moon. Um, and looking, putting man on the moon occupied much of the U.S. science budget for over a decade and was driven by something which was not scientific. But uh, so it's a hard thing to do. So unsurprisingly, um, progress takes time. Uh, but uh, the goal is arguably worth it. If you can demonstrate and re realize uh, another energy solution, which is base, base load, near limitless supply, has no radioactive waste, and is proliferation-free. That's a goal worth pursuing. So what are the challenges that still need to be solved before we could see a nuclear fusion power plant? That's coming up after this short break. Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics, and science. For The Defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. 
which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. Fusion Energy offers a lot of potential, but it's still highly experimental. So what are the key challenges that remain to take it from an experiment to a commercial power plant? So there's a few different challenges, one of which is uh, the confinement uh, challenge, which is the the physics of the plasma itself and also ensuring that the ions and electrons uh, remain confined for long enough. There's a, a materials challenge as to how do you build some materials that are going to withstand that very high heat flux. Uh, there are lots of challenges associated with, in the case of, of ITER, of how you diagnose properties of the plasma, and Australia has an activity in that space as well. There's a lot of technology and engineering integration uh, of being able to put together uh, such a machine. There's also questions of uh, how you generate uh, one of the products, uh, the fuel ingredients, tritium, is not found in nature, so you have to manufacture it by activation of lithium. So there's the tritium breeder blanket module, which is how you generate this fuel supply. There's clearly a lot of challenges still to solve, and some of these can get fairly technical. We didn't even cover all of them. While some of the challenges are being solved by researchers, there's also commercial interest in the fusion space. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos has invested in General Fusion, a Canadian company building a reactor that works on magnetised target fusion, a completely different process to what happens at JET. But Professor Hull says this is the process of iteration, and will iterate to the point where eventually a power plant would be possible. So the analogy is basically, when, I mean, when people first built a car, the engine was pretty inefficient and kind, kind of rubbish by comparison to today's standards, but it worked. And over time, people realised, oh, well, maybe I, I designed the engine differently and ultimately I get a V8 and then I turn it into a Tesla. So over time, uh, the engine, uh, the understanding of how you build the machine changes significantly over time. And so first of a kind, uh, power plants will probably be relatively inefficient by comparison to what will happen later, ideally. And you see this across all sorts of engineering technology demonstrations. Things are very inefficient to begin with and then improve over time. There are lots of challenges, whether it's in uh, physics, mathematics, trying to understand how you model and confine it, whether it's materials, whether it's technology, uh, and even engineering. So all of these things are important. What do you think of, um, you know, billionaires pouring money into fusion energy companies such as uh, Jeff Bezos pouring money into like general f- general fusion, etc.? Well, I think it's wonderful that they're investing in science. I mean, it's far better than he goes out and buys a, I don't know, a $200 million boat. Maybe he does that as well. I mean, what, when you have X billion dollars, what do you do with it? I mean, I don't know. We receive funding, for example, from the Simons uh, collaboration, and Jim Simons is a, a US mathematician who made who developed a hedge fund algorithm and made a killing and uh, now has US $24 billion in wealth. 
and invest part of it for the physical sciences, not only in this, but a whole range of things. And if I was a billionaire, I'd do the same thing. I mean, how many islands can you own? Is it going to improve your quality of life? Um, so you're far better off investing uh, that into a range and slew of uh, science and technology programs to do different things, of which energy is extremely important. So it's great that Jeff Be Bezos uh, invests in, um, in General Fusion. Whether General Fusion is going to, I think the approach of General Fusion is interesting. I think it's more complicated. Uh, it has even more challenges than total magnetic confinement, but great, good luck. I hope it works. Also in the news today, the Australian government has listed the koala as an endangered species, with land clearing, catastrophic bushfires, drought and disease lending to population decline. Just last month, the Australian government committed $50 million to conservation efforts. The government also intends to implement a recovery plan for the species. Environmental groups have long called for a national strategy after koalas were listed as vulnerable in 2012. An inquiry from 2020 found that without intervention, the koala will become extinct within the state of New South Wales by 2050. Apple has now issued an update on AirTags, following reports of people misusing the tracking devices for malicious or criminal intent. Several new features will be added to AirTags and the Find My Network via a software update, including new privacy warnings. First-time users will see a message informing them that using AirTags to track people without their consent is a crime in many regions around the world, and that law enforcement can request identifying information from the AirTag owner. Apple also confirmed that they're working with law enforcement on AirTag-related requests, including prior cases where perpetrators have been identified and charged by linking an AirTag's unique serial number with an Apple ID. For more on these updates, we've linked to the full Apple statement in the episode description. And small rocket startup Astra has had a failure with the launch of one of its rockets out of Cape Canaveral in Florida. Everything seemed to be going well, but around three minutes in, following stage separation, the rocket seemed to spin out of control. It's unclear what actually happened, but the Elena 41 mission was carrying four CubeSats for NASA. Astra says the payload was not delivered and apologised to its customers. The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. James Parkinson is our engineer. For more coverage, check out our website, thedefrag.com, and consider becoming a member. Members get an ad-free version of the podcast, discounts to our merch store, and early access to episodes. And stay up to date across social media, just search for The Defrag. That's all we have for this week. I'll speak with you on Monday. <laughs>